You know, I want to give you a quick recap of what we talked about last week. In fact, I think it was yesterday, Jennifer and I were sitting on the couch, and she says, okay, remind me again about the whole exegesis and hermeneutics. Uh, and, and what I told her and what I want to tell you is the words aren't really that important. Uh, but if you want to know again, exegesis, think of exit. It is calling out what did the text mean at that time. Hermeneutics is how does that apply to me today. So simply put, observe and imitate. And if those words are too difficult, I can break it down a little more simple. Simply see and do. That's basically what we want to do when we open up the text is we want to say, see what, what was this all about and then how does it apply to our lives. So last week, uh, after I was preaching, Wyatt got a, a, a video sent to him from one of his friends uh, named Marley who lives in Florida. If you're watching Marley, hi. Uh, she is a friend of Wyatt that she met on, they met at an online Bible study. And so I just want to say, with all the craziness that's going on with the pandemic, we now have young kids who are getting online looking for Bible studies and meeting people and studying and reading. It's just, it's awesome. And I'm super, super proud of my son and so thankful that we have kids his age who are like, you know what, this is a great time to learn more about Jesus. And so anyway, she sent uh, him a video after watching the sermon and she says, well, I hate to confess to your dad. She said, but I have a WWJD bracelet that I wear. Uh, and I said, you know what, that actually is awesome. I, I want you to wear those WWJD bracelets. Don't take them off. Continue to be like Jesus. But I, what I want us to remind, what I want to remind you is, if we want to imitate Jesus, it's important that we go back and ask the question, what did Jesus do? And so speaking of that, I want to transport ourselves back uh, several thousand years uh, to uh, before Bill's childhood. Uh, this was back in the Middle East. Sorry, it was your turn, Bill. You got the short straw. Um, so several thousand years ago, we have uh, Jesus uh, grew up and lived in the Middle East, and things were really quite different back then. How different were they? Well, let's jump back into the text. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 4. For those of you who are at home, maybe you can open up a new tab, a browser, and, and join me. We have a large uh, portion of material that we're looking at. And so really the best way to do this, as I always say, is to just to read it. I don't want to summarize it. I want you to, to listen to this. Hopefully this is something I challenged you several weeks ago or last week to do. Hopefully this last week you have been reading through John 4. But as I'm reading it again, think about all of these, uh, these issues that, that Jesus and the Samaritan woman might have with one another. What are some of these differences? So let's listen here. The Pharisees heard, this is starting in verse 1 of John 4, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot 
of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now I have is not your husband. What have you what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. I, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you 
am He. Now the story does not end there, but we're going to pause for today because there's some things I want us to look at this dialogue between Jesus and this woman. And it gets better. You know the story. Most of you, if you've been reading it, she sets down her jar and she runs into the town to the people who she was avoiding. And she begins to tell them about this Jesus. And ultimately, they're going to come out and there's this, this really awesome conversation that Jesus is having with His disciples. And like the whole town is coming back towards Jesus. And they're talking about food because they're confused. And Jesus says, look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. And you can just imagine the little heads bobbing as they're coming towards Jesus. Because He was focused not on food, not on the temporary, but rather He was focused on the spiritual and the eternal. And ultimately, we're going to see this beautiful story of how this woman brings the... You know, I'm not going to tell you anymore. I don't want to give it away. You're going to have to go back and read John 4. But what we're talking about today is we're talking about exegesis, about drawing out, about what did Jesus do. And I know a lot of us feel the pressures of living in 2020. And I think sometimes we find ourselves praying to God like a teenager might talk to their parents. When a teen looks at mom and dad and says, you have no idea what it's like to be in high school. You don't know what it's like, the pressures of being an adolescent. You don't know what it's like for your body to grow in weird ways and not really fit in with people. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. And I think sometimes we might look at what's going on in this very crazy, tumultuous, chaotic weird, weird time and say, God, you won't believe what's going on in this world. You wouldn't believe some of the issues that we have to deal with. I mean, you didn't have to deal with those kind of issues. And yet here we have a story that clearly paints a picture of a Jewish man living in a very volatile very chaotic, very difficult time. But again, it's so important we get the context. And I think it's important that we step back just one more step. We're in John chapter 4. Something really big happens in John chapter 3. If you have never darkened the door of a church building before you still should know something happens in john chapter 3 i can't remember what verse is it 16 right what does anybody remember what did john three sixteen say for god so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and and blow that up a little bit who was jesus talking to at that time Rhymes with Nicodemus. I heard somebody say it. Nicodemus. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. 
And the writer of the fourth gospel, John, I don't think it was an accident that he really up these two situations that are going to happen just really back to back. Think about the difference between these two stories in John 4 and John 3. So you're going to have to put on your thinking caps. You're going to have to dig back way back to Bible school. right? And I want you to think, what are some of the differences between who Jesus is talking to in John 4 and who Jesus is talking to in John 3. We don't normally do this, but we haven't had class for so long and I'm dying to get back to class. Because I want to hear what all of you have to say. So right now, we're just going to do this. Somebody tell me what's one difference between John 3 and John 4 as far as the two individuals Jesus is talking to. Everything. Okay, male and female. Day and night. And I, John pointed this out. This is really great. Okay, so we have male and we have female in. That already is a huge difference. They had gender equality issues way worse than what we have. Right? And I'm not trying to downplay the ones we have now. But definitely that was an issue. Night and day. John is not... John Trammell is not speaking figuratively when John points out, the Gospel writer John points out, night and day. Think about that one thought for just a moment. Nicodemus sneaks in to talk to Jesus when? At nighttime, Jesus goes out to a woman when? The sixth hour. What Time is the sixth hour. Okay, it starts, their day starts at 6 a.m. The third hour is 9 a.m. The sixth hour is high noon at the well. Think about that stark contrast. John knows exactly what he's doing when he shares the story about Jesus and Nicodemus, the man who comes at night, and Jesus who goes after the woman in broad daylight to meet her. What else? Somebody else tell me, what's another contrast that we have between Nicodemus and the woman? Okay, we have a Pharisee. He is the Jew of Jews. We have a Samaritan. She's the, well, she's the dog, right? I mean, the, the, the who's who and the who's not. What else do we have? Now, Kip, that is very intuitive. And I know your dad didn't give that to you. He said, name and no name. And there's other stories. Luke points this out uh, in one of his stories. But Nicodemus is known. He has a name. People recognize him. People see him. We have this woman. They don't know her name. And she doesn't want to be seen by anybody. Now we're drawing a little out of this. But there really is no good reason for a woman to go draw water in the heat of the day other than she doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. And we can look down in a few verses and see why. She is ashamed of her past. 
Nicodemus, people see him, they want to get close to him. She wants to stay as far away from people as possible. Okay, so Louise pointed out, and I love this, this is another beautiful contrast. Nicodemus, he goes to talk to Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's having a conversation with this rabbi. And what happens to this woman after she has a conversation with Jesus? She runs to the people to say, guess who I just talked to? I talked to this person who told me everything about my life. I think he could be the Messiah. Now, there's going to be some more background that we won't get into about Nicodemus, but we have reason to believe that Nicodemus later on became a follower of Jesus. But that night, we don't hear anything about him running to the Sanhedrin and saying, hey, guess who I just talked to? Anything else? Nicodemus was probably quite wealthy. She would have been lower class for sure. He was considered righteous. She would have been labeled a sinner. He was a Jew. She was a Gentile. He was religious. She was an outcast. Nicodemus asked questions and she avoided them. Nicodemus believed Jesus had power to perform miracles. She didn't think Jesus could draw water from a well right in front of him. These stark contrasts, and it's just screaming out in the text. Jesus wants people to see the difference between himself and her. And she points that out. Think of all the issues were at play at that well at noon on that hot day in Sychar. There was race issues. There clearly was issues with religion. There were gender issues. There were social issues. There were political and economic issues. There was church doctrine issues, which may seem small, but if you've been in a church long enough, you know those things can grow quite large. And of course, there was spiritual issues. Jesus was walking through a literal minefield of issues, just like we are doing today. A few years ago, there was like three things that we weren't supposed to talk about around other people. Now you need a tablet to list all of the things that we shouldn't talk about because they're not politically correct or they offend other people. Jesus dealt with those issues as He went to meet this woman at the well. Now there's a lot of things I love about this passage. But the one question I want to go back to is. What did Jesus do? 
Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about some of those issues he had to face, and we're going to look at some other issues and how Jesus handled those with savory people. But there's one small detail that I think most of you have gotten before, but I really want to point out again this morning. It's in verse 4. It said, He had to go through Samaria. And I want to be very careful when I say this, because I believe that the Word of God is inspired, and I believe that John has this amazing, beautiful gospel, but I just want to be say to John, liar, liar, pants on fire. Think about this for just a second. He had to go through Samaria. So, we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about this from uh, a geography setting. So, we have a, a, a map up here. And if you're online, I think in just a second you're going to have a map. You're not going to get to see my fun laser pointer, but you'll still get to see the map and some of the things on there. Can you go ahead and push the next button? Well, there we go. Okay. So, John chapter 2, I, I, I kind of gave it away already. He turns water into wine, and where does he do that? He does that in Cana, which is in Galilee. So think of city-state type of deal. Cana, and then Galilee at large. Then he's going to run up and he's going to uh, turn over some tables and have a good time. Uh, and where does he do that? That's going to be in Capernaum. Okay, and then he's going to travel at the end of John chapter 2. He's going to end up down here in... Where's the next button? Are we frozen? There we go. Thank you, guys. Uh, Jerusalem. Okay, he's going to be in Jerusalem. That's where we have John chapter 3. That's where he's talking to Nicodemus. He's down there for the Passover. And then after that, they're going to go out to the uh, countryside of Jerusalem. That's going to be our, our next one. The Judean countryside is just outside over to the east. So, now just a quick thing. You've probably heard this your whole life. This is my like my favorite joke um, that I had uh, when I lived and uh, ministered in preached in Texas. Uh, Jerusalem is Texas. Cana is like Kansas. Samaria has to be Oklahoma. <laughs> so if any of you guys are from Oklahoma, don't let that fall on deaf ears. You are Samaria. So he's in this area right here. They didn't like, they Jews didn't like the Samaritans. How much did they not like them? They hated them. They, they called them dogs. There's a long, rich history to that. And as one uh, comedian used to say, uh, because of their rivalry, rivalries, that's why we have to take our shoes off when we go to the airport. Like terrorism, still a lot of that came from the, the fights that broke out starting way, way, way back when, even before Jesus' time. So, this is what normally happens. If you're going as the crow flies, he's up here. Okay, so normally you'd say if you're going to cut through, he's going to end up back over here in this area in Galilee. You would think that um, he could go, and it's probably better to go through here. In fact, for those of you who have really good eyesight, you can see this red line. This has been a, a road in which they would have taken. However, the Jews' hatred for the Samaritans were so great that they would go out of their way and they would go over here to this Bethany. There's multiple Bethanies. They would travel up through here in Perea uh, 
and then they would jump back into Galilee. So they made sure that their feet did not touch the dust of the Samaritans. That's how much they hated them. That was normal. They went out of their way. Just for reference, from Jerusalem up to Capernaum is probably about 100 miles. So none of this happened quickly. They didn't hop on a plane. They didn't take a boat. Uh, they didn't you know, ride a bike. It would have taken days. So all of this would have taken a long time, which talks again about Jesus living life with people. He traveled with His disciples on long journeys. But here's the point. John says he had to go through Samaria. The truth is he did not geographically have to go through Samaria. In fact, he went out of his way to go through Sychar, which is further west. It would have been just as easy for him to go just east of the Jordan River and it would have been the path that most people took. Jesus did not take the path that most people took. Geographically, He did not have to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because He had to meet this woman. Jesus did not ignore this woman. He didn't label her. He didn't judge her. He didn't post things on social media about her and her lifestyle and her political views and rant and rave about people like her. He went to her. He said, he, John said, he had to go to her. He had to go to the marginalized, to the poor, to the sinners. He had to go to them. Because as a Savior, that's what a Savior does. He had to go to her. Not to judge her. Not to condemn her. He went there to this woman to see her eye to eye. And the differences between him and her were so crazy. In fact, Dwight Pryor asked a question this morning that I never thought of. He said, I've, I've been reading through John 4, and he says something interesting happens at, from the very get-go. John, I'm sorry, Jesus goes to ask for a drink. What does she say to him? He says, you are a Jew. And so Dwight asked the question, how did she know? I mean, did he have a name tag that says, Jesus, I'm a Jew? Was, was it the clothes that he was wearing? Was it the direction he was coming from? Was it his dialect? We don't know, but apparently his, he was so different from her that just seeing him, she immediately recognized him as someone different. 
And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? In fact, it's almost what we look for when we see people. It's like, how are they different than us? And anymore, we kind of turn that into, how are they different and why should I not like them or associate with them or why should I lecture them or condemn them? Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to be at that well at noon in Sychar. At Jacob's well when no one else would be there. But this sinful woman would walk up. And she was ready to judge Jesus for even talking to her. And He just showed love. You know, last week I was teasing about the WWJD bracelets and um, about wearing those when I was a kid. Well, thank goodness the fad is back in. And it just so happens that Wyatt got online and he ordered some. And I am now the proud owner and wearer of a WWJD bracelet. I'm super proud of this. But here's what's even better. They answered the question we only asked 20 years ago. We used to say, what would Jesus do? And that was this. And that was it. But they answered it with H-W-L-F. What would Jesus do? He would love first. That's what we get when we look and observe and see Jesus with a woman who He should not have been talking to. He should have avoided that whole area. Instead, He went right to her. And He loved her. Folks, I read this passage over and over again and I struggled with trying to find the way, the tone in which Jesus would have answered her question. But I always felt that it was one of love and not judgment. He wasn't condemning her first for the five husbands and the one she wasn't living with. He was drawing her into truth and saying, I know your life and I'm not walking away from you. And that's what we're called to do. To love first. Through this study, I want our first move to be the same move that Jesus made. To go to the hurting to pray for the politicians, to seek out the poor, to walk towards the lost, and let love be the first step that we take. Because it was the first step that Jesus took. May we live like Jesus every day. Please join me this morning as we stand and sing.